You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. As we continue our series, There is Hope, Uh, just by way of reminder... Uh, Don't forget that you can always uh, give through our morning offering when it comes by the offering plates there or use our online giving link. And that link is give.southwidebaptist.com, give.southwidebaptist.com. So we're going to continue this series for a couple more weeks, including this morning and finish walking through. And we're looking at uh, the idea that there is hope. And we've been talking about Christmas a lot, and that is now behind us, but 2021 is right around the corner. And I think that the question that many are asking is, what is 2021 going to look like if 2020 looked like this? Um, and it can be, it can be incredibly daunting, right? Uh, especially as we hear about things like we heard in Nashville, we were, we were talking about that before the service and, and there's all kinds of things that happen and, and those kinds of things I think that we're seeing more regularly now. Uh, we're hearing reports of uh, COVID spikes all across the nation. I, I mean, there's just, you, you know, you could make a list of all these things that are happening around us. And you can really wonder, well, 2021 may not be as hopeful as it seems. But for, but for believers, there is always hope. Amen. For believers, Jesus is our hope. And he never fails. He never leaves or forsakes us. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so for believers, no matter if a new year turns or not, the reality is there's hope because we're going to see Jesus face to face one day and everything in this life is preparation to see him one day. But even for Christians, right, as I talk to people around me and various uh, walks of life, even for Christians, hope can often seem elusive and intangible, plastic, uh, made up, even Christians across America, at least uh, at this time in, in life, uh, seem deflated and disappointed. Churches are wondering, what do we do next in this world of COVID? And after a year like 2020, the world is looking for hope in what is certain and what is true and what is tangible. So do we even have that as Christians? Is it real or is it plastic? The message of the Bible, of course, is that there is hope. And it's not an empty political promise. It's not contingent upon an election. Jesus is our eternal hope. And it's a hope that's more than just a distant future thing that we're waiting for. We're, we're not just Christians sitting here on the earth waiting for heaven to get here and just kind of holding on for the ride. No, there's hope right now in the present. And what we see here in Romans chapter 8 is both a promise of future things that would bring us hope now And really the reality of present things that God is doing in our life right now that should provide us hope. And now last week we saw that hope is a present assurance. It's a conviction. 
It's faith. And that faith is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. And when we have this faith, this assurance, it enables us to wait well as we're waiting on the things that God has promised. But the temptation is that even when we know all those things to be true, it's for us to feel alone, drowning, like we could reach our breaking point at any moment and we just need someone to help. And even good, well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ tell us, trust in the Lord, pray about it, whatever it is that you're walking through. But I think if we're really honest, we'd have to admit that those moments in our lives don't even we don't even know half the time what to pray about anymore. We're all prayed out, so to speak. We've said everything we know to say to the Lord, and still it seems like answers don't come. So my question to you this morning is, how as a Christian do you do spiritual battle in those moments? How do you go to war for your faith when you don't even have the strength to fight and you don't even know what to pray for? Well, Paul addresses this very question. So I want to invite you this morning, if you found your place, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. If you're at home joining us, gather your family around God's word this morning as we hear what he has to say to us. Romans chapter eight and verse 18 and following. The Bible says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And our key verses this morning, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind, what is the mind of the spirit rather, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified... He also glorified. Pray with me. Jesus, we pray this morning that as we open up your word, that you would meet us at the point of our deepest need. There is no doubt discouragement that has come in this year for many of us in many different forms. 
different hardships that we've had to face. God, there are things that perhaps people around us don't even know about. Things that we've been struggling with and wrestling with on the inside. And there are those who are joining us this morning online who have struggled with all kinds of different things that we here in this room could not be aware of. But you are. You know each and every one of us intimately. You know our hearts. God, you know our weaknesses. You know our struggles. And you are able to meet us at that point and to bring the gospel to bear upon those things. The fact is that we are all sinners and fallen creatures. We are all in this battle together as Christians with our own sin. And there are many of us, maybe even listening right now, who don't even know Christ. Trying to find meaning and purpose in the world. Having rebelled against you and sought purpose in other things. And so I pray this morning that you would meet us in the middle of our brokenness. And that you would remind us you, that you are the God who comes to our rescue. That you are our helper. That you are our Savior. And Lord, help us as believers to hold fast to the reality of the gospel in such a way that it not only gives us hope for the days that are coming, but hope right now in the present for everything that we face. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So this is a reminder to us of, remember, three very future realities and three very present realities so far We've seen all of the future things. And let me just remind you so that all of the weight of the passage is brought to bear on what we're reading this morning. We saw the future glory that is coming for us, that is reserved for us, that inheritance for those who are saved. This promise of better things, this promise of heaven that is coming. It's a a glory that is in our future and that glory that is so overwhelming and so uh, brings so much anticipation in our hearts. We're so eager to see those things that it's able to overshadow even the greatest pain in the present. We saw a future freedom. Those of us who were born and live in, an Amer- in America, we know what freedom looks like. And yet all of us are born under the curse of sin and in bondage, therefore. And so we're in bondage to this sin and longing for the day, not just us, but all of creation longing for the day that we'll be set free from our sin and that our sins will be no more. That Christ will completely and utterly destroy sin and death and hell and will be set free from the curse that the earth is under now. This freedom overshadows all bondage that we experience in the present and we rejoice in that. And then we saw this future picture of sonship, where we're already children of God, those who've trusted in Christ by faith. But the reality that we're going to be with our father one day, that our adoption will be made final and we will spend forever with our heavenly father, the one who is perfect, the one who in the midst of all of our brokenness has redeemed us and called us to be his sons. He's adopted us into his family. All that leads to some very present things, the first of which we saw last week, that present assurance that produces patience so that we wait well and so that we wait on the Lord, knowing that this day is coming. I don't know about you, but I struggle with patience, maybe more than any other fruit of the spirit. But the call upon our lives is to wait with patience because we are sure of what Christ is doing and has done in our lives. 
And then almost as if Paul anticipated the very next thing. The Romans may be saying, you know what? All that's fine and good, Paul. That's all. That's all good stuff. I'm excited about heaven. Yeah, that's I'm ready to get there. I'm ready to get who's not ready for heaven. Right. We're we're all ready to go to heaven. Be with the Lord. But what about today, Paul? What about in all of this future stuff? What about the fact that today I'm trying to provide for my family? And I got to figure out how to do that, Paul, in the economy that we have. I I just I don't know if that's going to be very possible in the days ahead. It's it's a struggle, Paul. Something that they were no doubt struggling with in Rome. Christians were being persecuted for their faith and losing their possessions. Or I'm at war with my own sin. Paul, help me in this struggle that I have every day with these temptations that I face every single day. Fear. Man, I, I fear the Roman government, Paul. Help me with that. How do I live and have hope in the midst of this persecution that I'm facing now? Heaven's going to be great, but what about now? Or what about in the middle of these churches that you established, Paul? I mean, everything was supposed to be well and good. I came into the body of Christ and I thought everything was going to be perfect, right? And then I came into this body and there's people that don't even like each other half the time and arguing and, and fighting with each other and What about that, Paul? Hurts, worry, anxiety. I mean, you could just go on and on and on and on, right? It's still there. Now, we can put on the face and we can come into church and we can pretend like everything's okay. But in reality, our lives half the time are a big mess, aren't they? And if we were to be honest, if we were to be honest, we're we're just truthful in saying that those things are just simply covered up. We can't let others know. Because then that would make us vulnerable and our perfect little Christian world would be disrupted and maybe even come crashing down. And that can't happen. Do you know that there are more believers that struggle in those ways than you might realize? If you were to really get honesty on behalf of Christians around you. But the truth of God's word is not plastic. They're not lofty truths that are out of touch with reality. God knows us. He knows us. He sees us. He knows our every struggle. He knows our every weakness. See, religion would say, toughen up. Have more faith. Pray more. Read the Bible more. Go to church more. If you do all of those things, then you're guaranteed... That you'll have a a worry-free, anxiety-free, doubt-free, discouragement-free life. The fact is that we still struggle. And sometimes we find ourselves on our own fighting this battle. Trying to overcome it. By doing all of these things in order to get by. But I want to free you this morning. That even your battle by faith. Whatever toughness you can muster up, whatever prayer you pray, you're reading the Bible. All of those things, though you must, should absolutely do those things. They are not the decisive act that will ultimately lead you to joy and happiness and peace. Because there are going to be days... That no matter how hard you try, no matter how much faith you thought you have, that all of your strength is gone and you realize, you realize that there is weakness even in your faith. 
I don't even know where to go in the Bible to find answers. In those moments, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't know what to say to God. Like, I'm all prayed out. Everything that I thought I knew is broken. And every broken choice and every overwhelming threat continues to haunt us day by day by day by day. And we're overwhelmed. And with each new one comes a new death blow. But I want you guys to get this. I really want you to get what Romans 8 is telling us. Because all of my weak and fallen efforts are not decisive in my spiritual battles. It's not to say that I shouldn't make an effort. I shouldn't try and I shouldn't pray and I shouldn't read God's word. But at the end of the day, none of those things are ultimately decisive in my spiritual battle. What Paul does is he answers these Romans immediate fears Their immediate anxieties, their immediate worry. What about my family? What about my job? What about my income? He answers all of those things. And he does so in a similar way to what we see in Exodus chapter 14. It's a similar way. Do you remember the people had been set free from Egypt? They were redeemed from their slavery. They were in bondage. Such such an incredible oppression. Poorly treated. And finally, God comes in and does something about their oppression and he sets them free and they're led out by Moses. This is, some commentators say, over two million people led out of Egypt. This is a great display. And then all of these people come face to face with the Red Sea. The mountains on one side, the sea in front of them. And then, before they have time to reroute, the angry army of Pharaoh behind them. Do you remember the story? Well, God, you got to provide us some boats so we can row our way to safety. God, you got to give us the ability to have supernatural powers where we can climb up these mountains and get away from this army. Or, or somehow we got to turn and fight against all that's coming against us. God didn't do any of those things. In fact, even before he split the sea, do you remember what he said in Exodus 4 and verse 14 when they began to complain? Verse 13 begins, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Listen to what he says in verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. All the things they were doing, they should do in obedience to the Lord and all that he'd called them to do. Yes, absolutely. But the decisive act in their life was not that they could muster up enough strength because all their strength was gone. It's not that they could find a way out because this was an impossible situation. They were up against impossible odds. They had no answers. How do you even pray when you're staring the Red Sea face to face? The reality that Exodus is communicating to us and the same thing in what Paul is saying to us here is that the decisive factor that will sustain you, believer, is not you. It is God. The thing that sustains you in the most impossible moments is God himself. Notice verse 26. Likewise, the spirit who the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep 
for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the spirit knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. On those days that you are too weak to fight, too empty to pray, the Holy Spirit actually helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us, prays for us according to the will of God. None of your efforts. No matter how valiant they be, may be, no matter how good they may be, none of your efforts in prayer or Bible study or any of those other things are ultimately decisive. It is God himself who ultimately keeps us. And if God keeps us, we will never be lost. Do you see this? When you have absolutely no other hope, God is still fighting for you. You need only to be silent. I I love this. Here's, Here's what I want you to get this morning. So crystal clear in this passage. Present help, namely the help that comes from God. Present help provides strength for the future. I don't know if that encourages you like it does me. But I've not been left alone in my life. Jesus has not saved me and then just said, hey, here you go. Figure it out. (laughs) Praise God. He's given me help. And it's not just here in Romans chapter 8. It's all over the Bible. You should just go on a search for all of these things. I want to just give you a sampling this morning and how God, the Holy Spirit, helps us right now in the presence all over the Bible. Psalm 46 and verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The very first passage of scripture that I preached here at Southwide. It's such an important text when it comes to knowing what God is doing on our behalf. He's our refuge and strength and he's our help. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. God is decisive. It is God who's keeping us. Psalm 54 and verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Hebrews 13 deals with the threats of people when other threats rise against us. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, verse 5 says. And verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Even even when sin comes our way, when temptation comes our way and we're tempted to give in. 1 Corinthians 10 says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Why? Because God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Psalm 121 and verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in John 14, Jesus called this one who's in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit. He called him the helper 
whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, it's in the days that we have no more strength and no more answers and the fact that we don't know what to do or how to pray that you will come to know the sustaining hand of God personally. These verses here in Romans 8 will become incredibly precious to you. So what is it that God provides? How is it that God is a help to us? It's an important question. Because we need to recognize when it is God who is, in fact, acting on our behalf. And much of what we see here is a mystery, but there are at least three things that we can know for certain from this passage. Things that Paul tells us. Number one, God comes to the rescue of sinners. God comes to the rescue of sinners. In verse 27 We see this picture of the Holy Spirit praying on our behalf. And he says that because the Spirit intercedes, and really important phrase here, for the saints, according to the will of God. The Spirit is interceding for the saints, according to the will of God. We should ask the question, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is praying for the The saints. What does the word saint mean? And it's an important question because in our day and for hundreds of years, the Catholic Church has distorted what the word saint actually means. Often attributing the word saint to those who are patrons of the faith of the faith, like St. Peter and St. Paul. And we've often used those phrases today to call them what they are. But it's not because they have some unique calling or holiness that makes them a saint. You've ever heard. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm no saint. What are they saying? They're saying, I'm not a I'm not a goody goody. I I don't get everything right. It's not what the word saint means. You might understand it that way if you read the end of Romans. Without reading the rest. Romans 16 verse 1 and following. It says Paul writes. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. A servant of the church of Kincre. That you may welcome her in the Lord. In a way worthy of the saints. Now this was a very faithful woman among the church. Then it says help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many. And of myself as well. In other words. Phoebe is is a faithful woman serving the Lord. You ought to welcome her as you do a saint. You might be tempted to think that that's the case. But if you're following your Bible, Romans chapter one, before Paul ever does anything else, he addresses the Roman people, the Roman believers. And here's what he says to them, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You see, all Christians are saints. He goes on, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, all believers, are saints. And this is important because everything in Romans 8 is built on the reality that these promises aren't applied to anyone but saints. That's what he's saying. That the Holy Spirit is praying, is interceding on behalf of the saints. 
If you had time, if we had time this morning, we go to Ephesians chapter four that describes believers as saints, the entire body of Christ. I would encourage you to read that Ephesians four, 11 through 16, the entire body of Christ, all of these people. Why? Because we believe it's the pastor's role to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that's all believers. So the word is pointing to believers and this helps us incredibly. The word saint comes from the word hagios in the New Testament is the word holy, which means to be morally pure and set apart, particularly set apart by God. This is what God has done for believers set apart from what? From sin. Paul addresses his first letter to the church at Corinth to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. This is what God has done on behalf of believers. He's called us out of the darkness, set us apart from our sin, and given us eternal life, and call us to be saints who follow Jesus. So the very first help that God provided you as a believer is by coming to your rescue as a sinner. God comes to the rescue of sinners. The entire text is predicated on that. How did God come to the rescue of sinners? He sent His Son. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to rescue us from our sin by giving His life on the cross. Romans 8 tells us that it's what the the law could never do and that it was weak in the flesh. All of us sinners separated from God. And the only way that we could be saved is that if Jesus came to our rescue and God sent and sent his only son to die on the cross. What the law could not do, God did by condemning sin in the flesh. This is the gospel. We could not do it. We needed rescue. We needed help. So we must not get the promise of help in the Christian life ahead of the need of rescue. It's to saints. The biggest need in your life today is not food on your table. It's not a job. It's not a husband or a wife to love you. It's not children. It's not wisdom for decisions every day. None of those things are the most practical need in your life. The greatest need of your life is the salvation of your soul. Rescue from sin. And only Jesus can do that. I I fear that too often today we get the cart ahead of the horse. And we make promises about what the Bible says to believers and we apply them to unbelievers. But the kind of help that we're describing is built on the reality that you know Christ. So the call of this passage today is if you do not know Jesus, the help that you need today is rescue from your sins. You need to be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You need rescue. Secondly. Not only does God rescue the sinner, but God strengthens the spiritually weak. God strengthens the spiritually weak. So notice verse 26. Again, this is now a promise to believers. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. The spirit helps us. So how does he do that specifically? Well, we're going to come to that in point number three to some degree. But the spirit helps us in our weakness, specifically He is our 
teacher. He, he teaches us the truth. When we don't know the truth, he brings us into the knowledge of the truth. He's our, our helper, our comforter. He bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He gives us assurance. And we could go on and on and on and make a list of all the things that the spirit does. But he is the one who helps us. In other words, he is the presence of Christ and the, the act, the, the work of Christ still with us now. You're a follower of Jesus. The Spirit of God has taken up resonance in your heart and He is doing a confirming, affirming, comforting, guiding, teaching work, helping work in your life. Charles Spurgeon summarized the teaching of Jesus on the Holy Spirit. He said, I will send you another comforter, one who shall be just what I have been, yea, even more, who shall console you in your sorrows, remove your doubts, Comfort you in your afflictions and stand as my vicar on earth to do that which I would have done had I tarried with you. The Holy Spirit is all that Christ is and was for us right now. This is who he is for the believer. Now, people get all funny when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, right? We start talking about, especially in a Baptist church, we start talking about the Holy Spirit. People get all funny and and magical and emotional. Start talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't want to talk about those things. That's all that weird stuff. That's those snake handling churches. But the Spirit's work in our lives is absolutely real and absolutely true and precious and biblical. He has a strength. That never fails and never grows weary. Aren't you glad of that this morning? No matter what weakness that you face, he never faces a moment of weakness. Isaiah 40 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And Isaiah goes on to tell us that we wait on the Lord, we will renew our strength. We'll run and not grow weary. See, it's depending upon the strength that the Holy Spirit provides that comes only from Him. That is something that is mostly a mystery. We hear of it when we hear the testimony of people's lives who've gone through something that they could not possibly have endured, and yet they did. Why? Because the Spirit of God was... With them. One of the ways that that works itself out practically is in Romans. Continue reading in Romans chapter 15. Paul instructs the church there. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. He goes on to write what that looks like. The life of the church. It's a practical provision of God. How do we experience the the Spirit's help in our weakness? One of the ways, practically, that we experience that is through the body of Christ. Being together. Your testimony, your instruction, your encouragement. And God speaking through that for me. So that I'm encouraged and I'm strengthened. And the same God doing that for me to you. It's, It's an incredible measure of God's grace that we would have a people. To do the Christian life with together. One of the other ways that this works itself out practically is through the word and prayer. As we're 
taking what we know to be the truth and we're bringing it to the Lord and we're confessing our weakness and our our need for his help, calling upon the Lord. Holding fast to truth. This is what Paul was talking about with the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter four. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But what do you do when you don't know what to pray? Because that's what Paul's addressing here, isn't it? I don't even know what to pray, Paul. I don't know what to say to the Lord. I've prayed, it seems like everything, and it's just as if God's not answering, which leads to number three. And that is the fact that God intercedes for the spiritually empty. God intercedes for the spiritually empty. He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep from words. Now, I'll have to confess to you this morning that that passage has a lot of mystery to it. What does it mean that the Spirit is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words? There's an element of mystery here. Some have understood this to mean a private prayer language where only the Holy Spirit knows what's being said and not even the individual knows what's being said. It's The equivalent of praying in another language, but it's some unknown language. And that's the way that the word groanings would be understood here. But that really goes against the whole point of the passage, doesn't it? The phrase groanings too deep for words uses the same word that we already see at the beginning of this passage in verse 22. Notice it there with me. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, he does not mean that creation is moaning like a pregnant woman who's in labor. That's, that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying that there is this inner wrestling that is happening within creation, this anticipation and eagerness that just as a pregnant woman doesn't even have words to say, all she can do is cry out in pain. It's the same place we find ourselves to be. But that's not the most amazing thing of the uh, uh, mo- amazing part of this yet. Here Paul gives the same meaning in prayer and it's a groaning under the curse of sin and brokenness that you don't even have words to express. Going through this pain is so real and so heavy. I don't even know how to pray anymore. It's very raw. It's very common. If it weren't common, Paul would not have addressed it in Rome. Then there are those moments when we're all prayed out and empty and we sit down to pray and there just aren't words anymore and we just sit in silence. And this is where this passage gives us so much hope. Because the Holy Spirit knows the heart of the one who has nothing left. And remember, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, the Spirit of God in the believer. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows our pains. That's where we began. And what does the Spirit do? Verse 26 tells us. He intercedes for us. With groanings too deep for words. To intercede is to speak. Specifically here it is to pray. And to pray on behalf of another. I love what Mounts says about this commentator. He says, no passage of scripture provides greater encouragement for prayer. 
The spirit comes to the aid of believers baffled by the perplexity of prayer and takes their concerns to God with an intensity far greater than we could ever imagine. And listen to what he says here. Our groans become his as he intercedes on our behalf. And he does it in a specific way. Verse 27 says, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I want you to get this. The total unity of the Godhead. Such that the spirit knows the mind of God, loves the things of God because the spirit is God. But the same Holy Spirit. Listen to this. The same Holy Spirit is in me and you, believer. Amen. Holy Spirit in us. And here's what happens. That Holy Spirit, because he's in me and because he's God, he knows even the things that are too deep for me to even utter. And then when I can't pray, he prays on my on my behalf and intercedes. Watch this now. According to the will of God. So here's what happens. My needs, my pain, my struggle, my hardship is not ignored. It's fully known. God doesn't just glaze over and say, oh, you'll get over it. (laughs) He says, no, I'm going to meet you right there. My spirit of God, my spirit, my Holy Spirit knows exactly what you're struggling with. But he is able to take the very real, the, the very reality of human need. And bring it face to face with the will of the living God. So that they now find harmony in the gospel. That's what the Spirit's doing on your behalf. This is why this is such hope-filling news at Christmas and at New Year's. And at every other moment of our life. Because present help provides strength for the future. Now how does that happen? How does it happen? Well, much of it remains a mystery. That's what the Bible tells us. It's happening in ways that we don't even understand. But I can bank on the reality that 29 years ago, God came to my rescue as a sinner. He was my help. And there have been clear moments of spiritual weakness in my life. Moments where I I, I just, I felt like I couldn't go any further. And God has come and been my help in those moments. And there have been moments in my life where I felt totally spiritually empty. And I I don't know if you've been there. No words to pray. In those moments, unbeknownst to me, the Spirit of God was interceding for me. How do I know that to be true? I know that to be true because the faith that God has given me now remains. And the decisive factor... In me following Jesus ultimately and finally and not falling forever is because God is keeping me. It's not a struggle that can be expressed in words and understood apart from walking through it. Other believers, as you hear their story, they follow the truth of his word and share with you what God is doing in their life. Some of you this morning find yourself in the place Where you just are in need of a reminder of what God is doing for you. And how he is a help to you. Some of you this morning may be in the place where you don't know Christ. You need 
a Savior to come to your rescue because you're lost in sin and in need of salvation. The Bible says that Jesus today will save you and come to your rescue. He will pray and be your help. You may not understand it all, but today He's willing to help you. He's willing to save you and rescue you if you'll trust in Him by faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you this morning to simply consider what God might be saying to you in this passage. Consider today what you might need to do in order to respond to Him in salvation. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. It's a an opportunity for you to respond to what the Lord has been speaking to you during this time of worship. Maybe in the week that has led up to this, you've been pondering and thinking on things that God has been speaking to your heart. Maybe you've been thinking for a long time what God has been saying. And today you need to respond to whatever decision God is calling you to make with your life. This altar is going to be open. We're going to have a time of music. Just a Time to reflect on what God has done in our lives and what he's doing. And I would encourage you today. You don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In just a few moments, when we stand, step out of the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to be saved. Will you help me? Yeah, today I'll help you because Jesus and Jesus alone can save. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you all across the room to stand with me as we pray. And our invitation begins this morning. Jesus, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts, that we would be obedient to you, that we would see your faithfulness, and that we would trust you with our lives. Thank you for interceding right now in these moments on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. The altar's open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.